Good morning. I think looking back, I know I got to do this some this last week, looking back at a president's accomplishments, not the current one, I'm talking about decades ago, and you can look and see how these accomplishments have stood the test of time, and it determines the success of their presidency, right? So when you look back at all the great things Richard Nixon did, I know we immediately associate him with the bad, but he did a lot of great things. I mean, you think about it, EPA was started by him. OSHA, protecting the environment all the way around, was pretty phenomenal. But I tell you, the best thing he probably did was establishing Father's Day as a holiday. So there is a sign of a successful man. So happy Father's Day to all of you as we proceed to talk about our Heavenly Father. And where are we going today? We are going to look at the third anointed song and the tailpiece that follows it. Like I said last week, the third servant song and the third anointed song that we're going to cover today are a testimony talking about personal commitment. But while the third servant song talks about the cost of obedience, uh, the third anointed song, which covers 61.10 through 62.7, rejoices loudly, rejoices loudly in what's going to be achieved. We're going to see a party here today, guys. We are going to see a party. You're going to hear it when I read the passage in a few moments. The people described here are not going through their normal daily routines. But, but we're going to hear, I'm going to read, you're going to hear, that's what, yeah. They are gearing up for a special, special day. The sacred ceremony that's going to take place, a marriage. And as they're preparing the world, people around them, are coming into bloom, the Bible tells us. It means they're going to be gathered around, sprouting around. Wonderful word pictures this week of celebration and of enjoyment. We get this sense of joy swelling up. It's swelling up in the people around as they learn they will experience this new world and prayer, prayer is a big player. All of this we will go through as this passage continues into the song's tailpiece, which follows in 62.8 through 62.12. In this tailpiece section, God confirms that Zion will enjoy what is its own. It will enjoy what is its own. And God tells them to get out and prepare the way for the world that's coming in and they will no longer feel as if they're forsaken. So we're going to look at this passage in two things. First, the third anointed song from 61.10 through 62.7. It's called Incredible Joy in the Coming Salvation. Incredible Joy in the Coming Salvation. And then 68, I mean, sorry, 62.8 through 12, The Great Promise and command 62 8 through 12 
the great promise and command. So let's go through it. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so will the Lord cause the righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep quiet, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall you, your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, Lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall not be called, sought out a city not forsaken and you shall be called sought out of sea not forsaken let's pray dear jesus we can't help but see the wonderment in this passage where we see a time when you have come you have conquered and we get to now come and celebrate forever can't thank you enough for this promise this mighty, mighty promise. And may, Holy Spirit, you just come and excite our souls as we go through this. For it is just a wonder 
that this was written when it was written to show us even today that it's all in your plan, your plan that will be fulfilled. This is not wonderment meant to be like a, a fictional story. This is fact. It is going to happen, and we're promised it. We thank you so much for this, Jesus. Amen. So 61.10 through 62.7, incredible joy in the coming salvation. We see great word pictures in this section. Righteousness is said four times. Remember what we always say, if it's multiple, it's there to bring and stress a point God is making. We see it in robes of righteousness. God will cause righteous people to sprout out everywhere. The nations <coughs> will see our righteousness. The anointed one will not be quiet until the new city shines forth in righteousness. And, and also we see a picture of people preparing for this great celebration, a wedding. And clothes here reveal character and they express a commitment, just like in a marriage. In the song, in this song, we see the promised acts of God becoming the acts given to the anointed one to perform. And we initially saw this commitment in 59, 16, and 17. We saw it, and Al, when he went over 59, 16, and 17, shared with us that Jesus saw no one else but him that could fill God's second advent. It says, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put the garments of vengeance for garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Stay tuned for next week. As Al went over 59, 16, and 17, he's going to go over the fourth anointed song, which mirrors the strength and, and power we saw in the fourth servant song. And it's feel free to read ahead. Read ahead, cross-reference with Revelation. It is a powerful, very descriptive passage. Can't wait. Jesus knew that the world could not save itself. So Jesus clothed himself in these garments of salvation and righteousness. So by that, salvation is directed to us and Jesus will do whatever the people need. And righteousness here means that Jesus will do whatever God's holy nature requires. So here we go. Some of the favorite things that we've seen here. Bridegroom and bride. Should be a million candlewatt light going off and, and, and reckon, and have have you recognizing it? And did you catch it? Where did your mind go when you heard this or when you read it? 
I bet for most of us it went to the Holy Covenant that we see as a New Testament body here between Jesus and the church. And this goes down to one of those many questions we'll probably ask when we get to heaven. We see Isaiah. It's like, okay, did you just write that or was anything special revealed to you? Like when it was revealed to you that Jesus would die for our sins and there'd be no more sacrifices that we saw earlier in Isaiah 53. It's like, did you get what you were writing there? Because it's so powerful. It's so powerful to think it was given to us then and it's the good news that we see in the New Testament. Just awesome, awesome. And because we see Jesus heavenly involved, heavily involved in this covenant task. It was mentioned last week in verse 8. And then we're going to go over marriage more in 62.5 because it's a major celebration that's starting to be prepared for. And we get the revelation of this bridegroom and bride. So as a husband and wife prepare for their big day, God shows us he has taken the same care in preparing Jesus for his anointed role. And like a priest with the beautiful headdress, this gives us a picture of the holiness of marriage. So just as a man and woman dress with great care for their wedding, God has dressed Jesus for the work of salvation. In verse 11, Isaiah, as he was singing this to the people, this people was very familiar with terms of agriculture. I'm not sure they had, you know, apps that we do today where we could just shop and, and go and pull up and do a Target or a Walmart pickup. They were very familiar with getting involved with the dirt and seeing things sprout up and rise. So they would have understood this verse completely to show that Jesus' work as the anointed one will be fruitful. And just as crops arise, so will people from the world will arise up in Zion. And the earth gives us a picture of soil that is very rich and allows for quick growth. Sown here gives us the intended purpose for the planting, growth. They're going to see growth. A land richly sprouting with God's people. And righteousness, righteousness is the saving work as it satisfies God and produces the fruit of righteousness in its recipients. So naturally with that going on, praise. Praise is the reaction to a, from a people understanding they are a part of this salvation work. Imagine that. They realize we're a part of this. What's your natural reaction? Praise. Praise. In 62, 1 through 3, in this section, we're going to see a real zeal for Zion. We see Jesus as the anointed one here, expressing his determination that Zion will come to possess the blessing of righteousness and salvation, and that it will be plain for all to see, and for all to possess this 
new name and royal dignity that is coming. Verse 1, it says, will not keep silent. This applies just as much as action to non-action. And I say that with Psalm 107.29. 107.29 says, He made the storm still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Will not be quiet means to be still and inactive. And both these verbs combined to show us that Jesus will give himself to both ceaseless prayer and ceaseless action. And that action he will perform because he is clothed for both, for the task and for the prayer. And we saw during the first Advent, he did pray. We have that in the New Testament. And he taught us to pray. And he also told us that only certain acts of faithfulness can come about through prayer and can only be accomplished after much prayer. And we saw that in Mark 9, 29, right? When the disciples couldn't heal the boy and God did and they asked him, the Jesus didn't ask him how and he said, some things can only happen with much prayer. Now, the goal is that Zion will enjoy the fruits of his work. So he will set out to achieve righteousness and God will ensure that the righteousness Zion requires, it receives. And then we see that once Zion is saved, their change of appearance will be as a bright and everlasting torch. Verses 2 and 3, what God does for Zion attracts the attention of the entire world. Zion is a light in a world of darkness. And then one of the best parts here, you shall be called by a new name. This refers to a new name that we will get for the new nature and new potential we will have. The name, new name speaks to the intimacy of the relationship that you will have with Jesus in heaven. The Bible says we will get this winner's mark when we get into heaven this white stone. And, and we need to think of it as like an all-access pass, right? Because this is what it refers to in the New Testament. When you won an event back in that day and you would get this white stone, it would be your all-access pass to all the top parties going on, right? All you had to do is show that and you got in. The Roman bouncers didn't throw you out. And... And Revelation 2.17 says, Jesus will give us, us who conquer and become part of this, the due name, when we will get this white stone with only the name on it that we only see. And we see that in Revelation 2.17. And only us will know what that name is. And this name, this name came from the mouth of Jesus. How awesome is that? So Jesus will give us a status before God and we will have righteousness given to us because of salvation. We will be rescued from every bondage 
every threat, everything that we consider ourselves unworthy about will be gone. That will be gone. This means we will be a crown. We will be a crown, a beautiful crown in the hand of God. And verse 3 repeats this for emphasis. We will be a sign to others that Jesus is the king. Verses 4 and 5. You will see in these two verses that the past of God, the past is gone, gone. This is because of God's delight in Zion. This is a new fertile land. And it says, You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. Here we pick up that not only is the past completely gone, it is not even worthy of mention. So think how awesome that be that you won't even look back. That is awesome. My delight in her replaces forsaken. And married replaces desolate. So not only is the person completely changed, but the environment around them is changed as well. Now verse 5. I can't do any justice to this verse telling you about it in English. Um, in Hebrew, it is a beautiful rhyming verse that has two halves. The wedding and the honeymoon. And the marriage covenant includes the bridegroom's promise to love and to cherish. And the honeymoon has the entry into the delights of a married life in which the bridegroom rejoices in his bride. Zion is going to be the object of the cherishing love of her own sons. And God will enjoy the honeymoon delight with those called to salvation through the work of the anointed one. Six and seven. Now, just as we saw in verses one through two, the anointed one prays. And he now appoints those who will intercede ceasingly, ceaselessly, until the full work of salvation and righteousness is accomplished. And we know this because even before the first advent, there was those mentioned in the Bible that were always before God praying. And we see that, the evidence of that, in Luke chapter 2. We remember when Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus to the temple. We saw Simeon and Anna, two very aged people that had been praying for this time praying unceasingly for this time. They got to witness Messiah come. So the picture we see here is having watchmen praying on the walls gives us, gives us a picture of the urgency God requires in praying for his work. The watchmen, like Anna and Simeon were, are considered guardians and they offer true prayer. And you're saying, okay, what is true prayer? True prayer. Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go over that. 
Number one, it's ceaseless, we see, day and night, vocally verbalizing the need. And it means, it means never being silent. Imagine that. that. If you're walking around praying verbally, um, you might get checked in a couple places, but you know, God's saying that's what it requires. God is saying our prayers are a vital ingredient in implementing his promises. Faithful obedience is a picture of this. And we see this by looking at the promise given in Malachi 4.5. Malachi 4.5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord coming. And then God says to answer that in Luke 2.13, his answer came to John the Baptist's father, right? And he says, your prayers were heard, and in God's time they were answered. And now, Zechariah, you will be the father of John the Baptist. And we see it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So we see those guys praying in the past and God answering them. And true prayer, number two, is discipline. True prayer is discipline. And we see that when it says, take no rest. Three, true prayer is urgent and invokes pressure. Verse 7 says, give him no rest. And a reference we see from that is in Luke 18, 1 through 8. Like I talked about recently before, the unjust judge and the widow. God is saying, give him, give him God, no rest with your requests. Give me no rest. And prayer is sustained. We see that until it says, until he establishes Jerusalem. Pray and pray unceasingly. Pray discipline, urgently. Give me no rest. Put the pressure on me until I establish Jerusalem. What does this mean? It shows you how important our prayer is. We are to pray unceasingly and with great discipline, urgency, and pressure to sure we keep at it for long periods of time until God brings in the new world. We should include praying for our neighbors and not as we think about it, but as the Bible, as Jesus and his parables told us who our neighbors are. They could be anybody. We are to do this until Jerusalem, or as we see here, the new Zion, is made the praise of the entire earth. We are called to do this because in saving Zion, now the world, our neighbors, have been saved. Now moving on to verses 62, 8 through 12, the great promise and command. Verses 8 and 9 would have been very, very well understood by the people of that day. Loss of crops to invaders was a common experience. Now, 8 and 9 is a promise that this will never happen again. 
When we come to 10 and 12, it's a wonderful proclamation passage. And is, it is very familiar with what we went over in 52, 7 through 12. The prelude to the fourth servant song. Because while this is the tailpiece to the third, it's also the prelude to the fourth anointed song. So this tailpiece to the third um, anointed song, I'm going to repeat myself, sorry. So while the previous verses told us that Zion will be righteous, glory and praise for all the earth, now the people are told in verse 10 to prepare this way, prepare the way for the coming peoples, and they will join the redeemed of God, in verse 12, into his city. Verses 8 and 9. So in 8, we see the familiar terms we've talked about a lot, in that we see hand and arm. Hand is a personal term, meaning direct involvement. God will have a hand in what's taking place. Arm means personal power. Both of these point to God and show that he is ready to take this task on. I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. This was not just a passing statement, but the people were very familiar in their history with this happening and happening again. In Judges 64, 1 through 4, we see that because of their sinfulness, God allowed the Midianites to raid the people for seven years. Seven years, their food and livestock would be stolen and taken back up by these cave dwellers. So formerly the people were justly subject to divine acts of punishment and they were made weak before their enemies. Now, because of the work of Jesus and the justice of God is satisfied, there will be no more weakness or punishment in the face of the enemy. When the covenant is fulfilled, this will excite responses of praise because everyone will enjoy the peace and security that are there forever. Verse 9 speaks of the human heart that is sensitive to the fact that every good and perfect work is from above. Courts of my sanctuary, this is really cool, speaks of the heart of God who is willing and satisfied to share feasts of fellowship with his people. Now, in the old day in the old covenant, they would bring in the first fruits and, and share it. But now it's the whole harvest. And it's not just taking place in the temple. But this shared feast has become a symbol for all and all of life. And it's lived in the presence of Jesus. Now every meal that's taken place is a sacred fellowship. Verses 10 through 12. Verse 10 has a great excitement, and it, we see that because it has doubled up some imperatives of go through and build up. Zion has be, is becoming and has become 
a prepared and welcoming city. The invitation has been issued, the gates are open, and the roads have been resurfaced. The world is to come, and nothing will stop them. A great signal will go out, so they can't say they didn't know, and no one told them about the invite. Verse 11. There are, there are three beholds in this verse. The first is the justification of the foregoing commands to open the gates and prepare the roads. This means God's worldwide proclamation has been issued. The second behold reveals the terms of the proclamation. God is announcing that Zion's salvation is on its way and what was done for Zion is now done for the entire earth. There is no separate salvation for different groups. Zion's king is the world's king. The third behold, the third behold, calls attention to the one whose reward is with him. Isaiah 40.10 says, God comes in might and his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. Now verse 11 mirrors this verse and it means the same thing and it reveals who has the reward. It is the anointed one, Jesus. His saved people are what he has earned and what he has accomplished. These people are his portion and his spoil. Verse 12, they will be called holy people. These are the pilgrims that are arriving, the people slash peoples of verse 10. These people are the portion and the recompense in verse 11. The you in and you shall be called sought out refers to Zion. The titles holy people sought after. These terms describe what is now permanently true. Redeemed of the Lord and city no longer deserted describes what God has done. Now these people, there are holy people with holiness as their main characteristic. Redeemed of the Lord here is, is, is very cool. These are those who God has accepted as his children and sent Jesus to pay their debt. And this is the early plug for Galatians, our next book. We will see in Galatians chapter 4 more on us being children of God. So stay tuned. Sought after usually means people with great care and perseverance coming and to where God is and seeking him. But here, here it refers to God seeking out and gathering his worldwide people. A city not forsaken, not just won't be forgotten. This means Zion will never be forgotten. We may only be able to slightly imagine all this taking place, 
But one day, we are going to get to see it firsthand. So our goal should be to take away the nugget of what it is to live a life of true prayer, to be counted like those watchmen up on the walls, calling for this day to arrive soon. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for this time to be before you and a time to dig into this word of a coming promise that should give us great hope and great desire to see take place. We cannot wait for this time. We cannot wait to be among the people traveling this well, easy to walk on road coming into Zion to celebrate your great victory. Amen.